This is the Signal Cafe, and today we're speaking with Befar John Shai, the founder and CEO of InnerWorks. InnerWorks was recently named a Forbes Small Giants Award winner, and they take a human approach to everything that they do. You'll see in this interview that whether it's hiring or consulting or business development, they really put people first. Befar, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Yeah. My, my name is uh, Befar John Shai. I'm the, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the CEO of InnerWorks. We are a, a tech consultancy with around uh, 180 employees here in the U.S., uh, 40 or so in Europe, uh, about 10 in Australia, and, uh, and two in Singapore. Um, we do the things you might expect an IT consultancy to do. We ha Half of our practice is focused on traditional IT infrastructure, storage, virtualization, et cetera. The other half is, and, and that business is mostly a, a regional play. We're based here in Oklahoma. Um, and then the other half of our business focuses on data architecture, data analytics, data visualization. Uh, our clients in that space tend to be medium to Fortune 100 companies around the world, uh, which is why we have uh, locations around the world. In my spare time, I, um, I have two daughters, a 10 and a five-year-old uh, girl, and, and I am passionate about coaching soccer. So I, I didn't grow up a, an amazing soccer player or anything like that, but both of my daughters love to play. My 10-year-old is really into it. And the local program we have uh, was giving a lot of attention to the boys and not enough to the girls. And one of my co-workers and I, he, he also has three daughters and, and he did play semi-pro. And what happened was we, we decided that it was time to take the city's program and really elevate it. So we've been pouring a lot of our own time and resources into that over the last year, bringing in the local university and local uh, players from the university to help out uh, and, you know, provide mentorship and leadership to the young girls on the team. And, and we're really working on taking that to the next level. So that, that consumes all of my time on nights and weekends. That's awesome. Dude, so you said both of your girls play? They do. Yeah. I mean, at, you know, at the five-year-old level, it's more just running around, but at the, at the 10-year-old level, it's starting to become a little bit more competitive. And in fact, this weekend we have what, what's called the state cup tournament where, all the teams around the state get together and, and you know, go, go at it tournament style. So we're looking forward to that. Nice. My, my son is six and uh, he hasn't started soccer or baseball or anything yet, but uh, he does ninja classes. So he part of the Austin Ninja Academy. Nice. So I saw, are you into transformers? I saw you're using the Autobot logo. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm 43 years old. I mean, I, I, when I grew up, I, Transformers was a, a, a hot thing and I was definitely into it. And, uh, you know, it was Transformers, G.I. Joe's, all that good stuff. But for me, I, I was always a big fan of Transformers. When I played with things like Legos, I would try and build Transformer sets that could, where each individual robot could transform and then they could all come together to make one big thing. Uh, yeah, I was always just a, a big fan. So, um, you know, it's, it, it sounds silly to say, but, you know, you had kind of Optimus Prime, this leader, good guy, always, you know, seemed to stand up for the right things. At least that's how I remember it. And, and I, I use his logo a lot, you know, instead of, you know, when, when some app requires an avatar or a picture of me, I, I end up putting uh, the Autobot symbol there or something with Optimus Prime in it instead. That's awesome. I, I, yeah. So I, I, I watched G.I. Joe, Ninja Turtles, He-Man, didn't watch a lot of uh, Transformers when I was growing up, but my son has recently gotten into Transformers. And so you're absolutely right. You remember correctly, Optimus Prime is an incredible leader. And um, that's really cool. Are your girls into it? They are not. No, it's, uh, it's um, there's a whole new wave of toys that are, I think, new to the market. And you know, what's what's crazy to me is I, I thought something was maybe a little off with my daughters because they will get on YouTube and watch videos of other kids playing with toys. And I thought this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And then I started talking to other parents and their kids do the same thing. So I, I guess this is the new thing. You play with your own toys, but you watch people, you watch videos of other people opening toys and playing with them. 
it's it's fascinating it's it's the concept of uh mirror neurons you know how uh we learn how to throw a baseball or or to do other things by watching other people it's monkey see monkey do and yeah. so same like neural circuitry is firing in our brains when we watch somebody throw a baseball as well as when we're throwing a baseball and so i imagine that the same thing goes with these unboxing videos online yeah. where it's just flooding my son's brain with dopamine as he watches people unwrap surprise bags. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, I really thought it was incredibly odd. And then I saw like a comic strip or a joke or something where, you know, kind of referenced, well, you know, look at what adults do. They watch other people bake or fix their remodel their kitchen or whatever it may be. And I thought, well, you know, Actually, now that I think about it, that's right. We sit around and watch other people do things we could be doing ourselves. Uh, and that's, you know, I guess, um, I guess that's just the way the world works. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> as much as possible, I try to uh, catch myself and say, how can I be a creator or a producer rather than a consumer all the time? But being a consumer is much easier. Agreed. Well, cool. So, Y'all were recently named by Forbes as one of the best small companies in the world, in America. Um, and it was the Small Giants Award. And this is how I got turned on to InnerWorks. So you y'all were founded in 96. Correct. And was it just a, was it just you? Did, did you kind of start it as a tech consultancy, consultancy on your own? Yeah. So what happened was, you know, again, I'm 43. I, I graduated, you know, high school in 94. And what happened was growing up and today, everyone has a computer. I mean, my, my daughter has a computer. Um, back then it was, it was not, it, it was the exception, not the standard or not the default. And I think that I was just always into it from a very early age. I was into it. I, my my dad got me a Commodore VIC-20 in second grade, and, you know, I wanted this thing to play video games on. You, you couldn't just go download video games like you can today or run to Walmart. You had to program it in, and he, so he bought me a book that was, it was all code. Chapter one was a, a game. Chapter two was a different game. Chapter three was a different game. So in elementary school, I'm just transposing code. I, I don't even really know how to type. Um, onto the computer and, you know, you get to the end of the chapter and you type the word run to run the, all the code and it comes right back and says airline one. So I got to go back to line one and look at the book and look at the computer and see what's different and why, why aren't things working. And what happened was after going through that whole book, which took a long, long time and playing all the games, I accidentally learned how to program and, um, maybe it was a deliberate, you know, uh, intent by my dad, but but growing up, I mean, was just always into tech. If if something was broken at the house, if the TV didn't work, a hair dryer quit working, it didn't go in the trash. It you know we we would sit around the table and open it up and look at the parts and see what we could figure out. So high school rolled around, and I, I became you know the sort of just known as a computer person. And when people needed help, or it, it was a lot of times it was my friend's parents because they had, were just getting computers and no one knew how to do anything with it. I, I was sort of the tech support person they would call. And, um, and again, just through video games, I mean, you know, network gaming became a thing. The idea that you can play a video game with someone else uh, became a thing. And this game called Doom came out. And all of a sudden, all my friends wanted to play it. They didn't have network cards. They didn't have modems. Again, I ended up being the guy to install them and, and help troubleshoot when it didn't work. And what happened was, at, at some point, I realized I really like, you know, I like the part where we were playing the game, but I really loved everything that led up to it. I love troubleshooting. I love figuring out why a network driver didn't work or what network protocol I should use or a lot of times I was, you know, running the cable, crimping ends and, and just something wouldn't work right. And it, it was a lot of fun to figure out what was wrong. I mean, it was it was just like, you know, the same way you might do a crossword puzzle. To me, that was a puzzle I wanted to solve. But what happened was I was doing it over and over and over again. And at some point it became the same problems over and over again. I wanted bigger, badder challenges. So when I was in college, I approached uh, a local computer store because at that time 
that's how you got a computer was through your local computer store. And I said, look, you guys are in the business of building computers for people. I want to service those computers for your business customers. If I do a great job, people will want more of your product or they will be happier with your and or they will be happier with your product. So it's a good thing for you. And they were happy to do it because they didn't want to be in the services business. And so in 1996, when I was in college, I, I just I started Innerworks. It was not because I wanted to be a business owner. It was not because I want to retire when I'm 40. It was just this is fun and I, I want to solve bigger more complex problems. And if you look at our model today, I mean, honestly, it's the same thing, except instead of going to the local computer store and making that pitch, um, they're billion dollar computer stores. It's Dell or VMware or Tableau or Snowflake. Uh, and, and it's the same thing. We go, look, if we do great, we love your product. If we do great work, people will be happier with your product and they will you know, likely want more of it. Uh, it's, it's the model has served us really well. And so the first, that first store that you went to and pitched to, they said, yes. Yes. Because, um, a, a lot of these companies will say, look, we're in the, we're in the product business, the hardware business, the software business where we recognize that services is not an area we want to focus. Frankly, I mean, a lot of times what we'll hear is we, we have to do it because our customers demand it but we want to stay as lean as possible. So to the extent we can leverage partners, we want to leverage partners. And, um, uh, you know, because frankly, if, if you're in, in the business of building software, uh, that is a completely different business than running a, a professional services team or a consultancy. Uh, so yeah, it, it works well. They're, they're, they're almost eager to have a great partner come in and take the, what what might be considered a burden for them off of their shoulders. It's a totally different strategy to scale a services company than it is to scale the software company. And not only is it different, but if you're trying to scale that software company, and if you're relying on your internal sales engineers or implementation engineers to to facilitate that scaling, then you're really handcuffed, right? If you're not using partners. That's right. So I want to talk a little bit more about the, about your growth and scaling. And so it started as um, one person, 96. Now you have over 200 employees across the globe. What, how, so first off, who were your first couple hires? And then, and then kind of what's the, how, what does it look like going from one to several to 200 Employees. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, I started this with kind of these very, um, you know, let's just call them like pure intentions. Like I just wanted to, to do, you know, geeky, nerdy things. And, uh, and I, I wanted to be proud of the work I was doing. And I really enjoyed, I mean, it's not, you know, I, I, I kind of look back at those moments back then there used to be. So when we were doing IT services in the early days, we did a lot of cabling for for businesses because most buildings weren't wired for networks. There was no such thing as wireless back then. I mean, I would, I would sit around and look through um, cabling magazines and all the different ways to make cabling look nice. And, you know, that, that was my idea of fun, right? Like just going, how can we do this and be and make it the best thing possible? And I wanted all my buddies to be part of it. So I was constantly trying to bring my roommates in, my my college buddies, my buddies from the high school days, um, and so, so the first, you know, kind of early, the earliest hires were when we get a job that was too big for me to do, and I would just turn to my friends and say, "Hey, you want to go do this thing?" and uh, you know, paid them hourly. Um, when I was in college, I, I obviously I met a lot of people had had just college friends uh, come on board. And, and then, you know, in 2000, when I got my master's degree, that's when I say that, that things got serious. That's when, it, that's when InnerWorks became my real job. And, uh, you know, when I acknowledge, you know what, I'm going to do this full time, not, not go work for IBM or Boeing or some other company. That's when we started looking at full-time hires. And the first several full-time hires were all people that 
uh, or most of them were people I had a friendship with that had nothing to do with work. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it really worked well. Um, and today, a lot of those people are, are still here. There's a lot of people here that, you know, I grew up playing high school soccer with. I, I grew I mean, some of these are people I go back to like when I was five, six years old. Uh, so it, it makes it a lot of fun because it, it never really, there are days when it seems like work, but there are a lot of days when it's just a bunch of, you know, the, the same way you and your buddies might go out. Like we're, we're our, our common cause is like furthering this technology thing, but we're all doing it together. And, and, you know, we get paid in the meantime, which is a, an added bonus. So I think in, in early days, you know, you, you asked about what, what did the transition look like going from small to the size we are today? It, it, it definitely has been a heck of a transition. I mean, in the early days, everyone was in Stillwater, Oklahoma. We were small. We were all in one building. Um, we were all single. No one had kids. We were all you know pretty young. And it was, we go work. We might work on the weekend. We might be working at night. We, on, we were doing things together outside of work. Like we just go play tennis or golf or go to the movies or, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, it was, it was a very tight knit group and, and really, uh, very strong bonds and friendships as, you know, as we grew life also happened. And what I mean by that is all of a sudden people are starting to get married. Kids are starting to show up, which means that, you know, family is obviously increasingly important. There's, and, and, and you look at today, the same people that we used to go all play on intramural softball teams together. We're like, well, now we have, you know, kids that are playing in sports. So, or, or have other activities, dance, theater, whatever it may be. So people are running out of the office to go do things with their kids. And that that's, it's changed the dynamic in that we don't all spend as much time together. Uh, people aren't really hanging around in the office till 8 PM anymore. And now we're, we're spread all over the country. So we, we still have a heavy density in Stillwater, Oklahoma city, Tulsa, but we've got people in Portland and DC and New York. And, and so we, we have to be a lot more deliberate about keeping the group tight knit. We leverage tools. We, we have some things that we encourage uh, the groups to do um, to, to keep the, the camaraderie and keep, you know, a tight knit uh, organization. And to be honest, we, we resist headcount growth as much as possible. Um, it, it's, it's a hard thing for me to articulate, but because all we've done is grow, 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 but I fight it every step of the way, especially when it comes to headcount growth. That is um, the idea of one day we'll have a thousand people here has absolutely no appeal to me. In fact, it has the opposite. It sounds completely not interesting. Um, so for me, I'm always questioning like, how do we, how can we continue to grow, do more, extend our reach, uh, our responsibilities, our leverage. How do we continue to, to be seen as a thought leader in the space we're in, but not grow in headcount? That doesn't mean we're not going to hire anyone. It just means that I, I, we, we're very focused on trying to work, let's say, smarter uh, and, and focus on the quality rather than focus on size or, or revenue targets or headcount targets. Totally. Yeah. What's the main reason why why you're kind of averse or not averse, but why that doesn't appeal to you? Well, well I, I, you know, for me, I go back to why am I doing this in the first place? I mean, I, I think that, you know, at some point I, I crossed a threshold where, uh, you know, I tend to think I, I, I live a pretty, you know, simple life and I'm not, I have no, uh, earning an extra dollar or hundred or million frankly, doesn't, doesn't really change anything for me. I mean, for me, I go, the, the reason I'm happy to make more money is to find ways to, to take that money and, and, and use it for a, a purpose other than my own. So th there is an agenda around that, but, but I go, I don't, I'm not motivated by, we're already working for some of the, the most well-known companies and they, and they value our work and, and they tell us that. Right. And so for me, I go, I, I feel really good about that. When I go, why did I start this in the first place? It was never to be a business owner. 
and it was never to go um, make more money than I need. I, I started this because I love technology and I liked doing things with my friends. And, and it took it took a long time for me to realize this. I mean, I didn't, you know, as I was going through this in the early days, I didn't, I never really stopped to think about it. Um, but what happened was we were growing so fast that I, and 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 at some point I, I thought, you know, we don't we don't have a business plan or a, or and we didn't have a traditional kind of vision mission statement uh, in the early days. But and what was happening was everyone was calling us saying, "Come help us with this thing." And we were saying yes to everything. And at some point I thought, if we keep doing this, we, we will have 10,000 people here. And, and it, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not for me. And I think that for me, I go, why, what about work is fun for me? Like, why do I like coming in Monday at 8 a.m.? And what makes me excited about coming in Monday at 8 a.m. And, and starting my day? And, and for me, it's, I, I want to be proud of the work we're doing uh, and I want to look around at the people that are here and go, I'm, I'm proud of these people. I like these people. I'm happy to see these people. And, and, and then when I look at who we're doing work for, I want to be proud of that as well. And so for me, I go, if those three things are true, then I am happy. And so we, we came up with this mantra at InnerWorks called, you know, it, it, this phrase of do the best work for the best clients with the best people. And the idea is that, you know, we, we, of course, revenue matters. Of course, profitability matters. That is not the most important thing. Now, if we're losing money, then that would be a very important thing. But we've always been, you know, we've always been in a situation where that's just not been the case. So for us, we go, our, our priority is let's go do great work. Let's make sure every single person here is, is great. And I could, I could talk more about what that means. Let's make sure the clients we work for are great, and I can talk more about what that means. Um, and and if we if we focus on those things, the money will come, the profitability will come. Let's be mindful of those, but let's make sure those three conditions are true. I think keeping those three conditions true is easier if you have a hundred people versus a hundred thousand people. Um, and and yeah. So doing the best work for the best clients with the best people. I know I want you to talk a little bit about hell yes hiring and, and what it sounds like also hell yes, um, client selection, right? Yeah. So what happened was, um, kind of the same thing, right? Like we, in early days, you know, I, I say my buddies, like I, I, we hired my buddies a lot, but it really wasn't just anyone who I was buddies with. There were, there were, it was a particular kind of person and there was a certain work ethic that came with them and a sort of resourcefulness and uh, a level of autonomy. And, and this has been tweaked along the way. So it's not like on day one, we felt like we were amazing at hiring. This just got better and better over time. Um, but what happened was, we would bring people in for interviews. And at some point we, you know, today, if you look at our process, the way it works is you, you've got a, you know, it, it, what probably most people do, you have your standard phone screen, people come in, they probably talk to a few different people. Uh, I think where we go sort of above and beyond, there, there's a couple of things we look for. Uh, and then there's a few things in our process that are slightly different. So at, at some point when our growth accelerated, we thought, you know, if we, when we hire the wrong person, it is expensive. And I don't mean dollar wise. I mean, sometimes you can hire the wrong person and they can do the job. And from a direct revenue perspective, it looks like they're making the company money and all that. But what happens is when you hire the wrong person, it erodes the culture and no one may actually know it. And, and that individual in and of themselves may not be enough to erode it. But when you start having two or three or four or five of the wrong hires, uh, you start to lose a little bit of the, the identity of the company. And, um, and maybe the work's not quite what you want, or maybe they're a little too selfish and it, you know, it kind of rubs people the wrong way. And it, it, it starts chipping away at the joy of work when conditions are amazing. And, and we started, you know, kind of looking at, well, why is that? Well, maybe we have someone we hired that, if you have a certain kind of title, they talk to you and they're great. But if you're, you know, the person at the front desk, maybe they treat you a little differently, right? 
or maybe we hire someone who their work quality is great, but really everything is about them and it's not about being in service to others. And so what we started doing was when we, when we interviewed people, at the end of the interview cycle, uh, which, which our cycles tend to be long, uh, or the number of people you talk to tends to be many, I should say. At the end of that, we take everyone who was part of that conversation and we have a kind of a roundup call. And we go around and say, what did you like? What did you not like? And be picky, like nitpick in, for, on the positive and negative. We take the feedback from the people at the front desk that greeted that person when they walked in the door. Because again, did that person walk in and, and kind of, you know, were they condescending and rude to the front desk person because they think they don't matter? Or were they kind and, you know, and, and caring to them? The people that plan, if we're flying people in for interviews, um, the people that were on the phone, you know, are, were they kind and caring to that person or were they rude? Did they, did they, do they understand the, the nuances of traveling? If they, if they're new to travel, it's okay. Right. But we analyze like what kinds of questions do they ask? We look at the emails they sent in and the, and sort of the quality of communication. Um, we make everyone who comes and do a presentation, regardless of what role they're hiring for and regardless of if they, if their role even involves directly presenting to clients because what we want to do is go we want to make sure the person can you know clearly communicate and then the final step of the interview is they have to interview with myself and when i interview someone i don't i don't look at anyone's notes i don't know i i don't want any information about the person i, I want a blank slate uh, no notes, no anything. I, I look at their resume for the first time and I look at what role they're interviewing for for the first time. Uh, I have no idea what their salary expectations are at that at that moment. And so I'll, and, and I just ask very general questions. Hey, tell me about you. Why are these things on your resume? Tell me your, you know, kind of your life story and how you got here. Why did you major in theater or, you know, whatever? Why are you why did you go to this university? And I just let them talk. And for me, it's, it's trying to just get to know them as much as possible. And, and for me, I go, when they walk out of the room, and, and anyone who's done interviews you know, knows these feelings, there are people that when they walk out of the room, there's some that you go, no way. And there's some that you go, you know what, they can do the job, period. Uh, and there's others that you go, this person was fantastic. I wish I could find 20 more like them. I hope they can start like right away. And for me, I thought, you know, we don't want to be a 10,000 person company. We don't, we don't, even though we always have more work than we have people, I'm numb to that, to be honest. So the urgency around having to hire someone is not there for me because I'm, I'm numb to it because it's, it's like a permanent state where we always need more people. And so for me, I thought we have almost never gone wrong when someone walks out of the room and we go, that person was amazing. And so when we, when we get on phone calls at the end, we go, each person has to comment on what they liked and didn't like. And before, before they even end with, yes, let's hire them or no, you, you know what their answer will be or should be based on their feedback. And, um, and so for me, I go, look, we, we, we're frankly, I mean, we, it's not that we have caps on headcount, but because we are, being very deliberate about every single person here. Let's only have the people here that we go, this person's absolutely amazing. So the thing is, is I think that we don't, you know, we very, we very rarely get it wrong when we stick to our guns on that. Uh, I'm sure there are people we pass up that would have been amazing. Um, but, but most of the people that make it through, we, they, they end up really working out. And so I think what you end up with is, uh, and, and I would say there are two things we, you know, if you, if you ask a Starbucks manager or an Accenture manager or an Interworks manager, what do you want out of an employee? All of 95% of the answer is the same, no matter where you go. I want hardworking. I want someone who's honest. I want someone who's resourceful. I want someone who's, you know, I think the two things we want that maybe people don't always say are, we want people who show passion in some way that ties back to the work they're going to be doing. Uh, that's number one. And number two is we want people who, um, who are kind and caring and enjoy being in service to others. So if you come to an InterWorks office, the, the experience I hope you get 
is if you're standing up front waiting there, you know, for someone to greet you because, you know, no one's there, every single person walks by goes, oh, can I help you? Right. Or if someone in here has a question, they go, hey, I'm stuck on this thing. And we use Slack for our internal communication tool. The minute says, hey, can someone help me? They have 10 responses in a minute saying, yep, I got you. What do you need? Uh, that's the sort of you know culture that we want. I think, I think the hiring thing, I mean, we definitely have tweaks and we can do it better. And um, there, there are a lot of things wrong with our process, but, but I think it, in the grand scheme of things, it served us really well. And, and our, our culture sort of oozes from, uh, from all of our locations. Yeah. And it goes hand in hand with what you were saying about, you know, not only not wanting to, to grow headcount, but really being skeptical of it or, or averse to it. And so it sounds like if, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's air on the side of not hiring somebody that, that still may have been a great employee rather than airing on the side of potentially bringing on somebody that could be destructive to the culture. Right. And I get, I, yeah. And I guess just to put the final point on the, the hell yeah article you're mentioning. So the idea is that when we all round up at the end, if everyone's answer is, yeah, I think we should hire this person, uh, we go, that's not good enough. The, the answer has to be, that person was amazing. I absolutely want them here. Um, and, and that's what we, you know, there's some variation of that is what we call hell yeah. If it's just, yeah, you know, I think they can do the job. They seem nice. I have nothing bad to say about them. Uh, we go, no, that's, that's not good enough. Like that that let's not accept that the bar has to be excited, passionate, you know, we really want this person here at any point in the interview process. If anyone says I'm not, you know, I I have a problem with this person and it's a valid issue. um, uh, We they're, they're out. So it's uh, yeah, it can be tough to get through. And, you know, by the way, the, the process is not about, um, uh, technical aptitude. I mean, where, where that comes into play is if they have, you know, a high salary requirement, they're filling a senior role. I mean, we expect that, um, uh, that that matches, you know, their ability. But, but if, when I interview people, I don't really ask technical questions. I, I don't ask technical questions. Um, for me, it's really about the person and their ability to um, problem solve uh, you know, kind of see through smoke and mirrors when they're talking to people about what's wrong and how they can help. Uh, you know, just having good kind of life or soft skills. It's about uh, emotional intelligence, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. I love how you said that you actually kind of go through, or whether it's I'm sure you don't, but the team that is making the hiring decision, go through the emails, all the communications, all the individuals that, that this prospective employee, um, has interacted with to really get a, a better gauge at uh, what sort of a communicator are they. And in terms of like being problem solvers, like what questions did they ask about how to get to the office, <laughs> like what, what to expect and whatnot. Um, it, it really can say a lot in those initial um, conversations. It does. And, you know, I, I, again, I go back to the early days of Interworks and what, what used to happen. I mean, for me, everything was trial by fire and just putting lots of hours into, to solve things I didn't know how to solve. And, you know, I, I remember distinctly in early days, people would come to me and say, um, I have this Microsoft exchange issue. Can you help me? And my answer was, yes, I'll help you. And I, and this may, this was at a time when I'd never even seen Microsoft Exchange and you couldn't just Google an answer. And so I would go in there and I would just spend eight times the amount of time it would take someone who knew what they were doing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bill for that. Uh, and in the process, I learned a hundred new things. Um, and, and the client was happy because they, they just left me in the back room and I fixed their problem. Uh, and I did it with a smile and, and communicated with them about what's going on, et cetera. And so, and so for me, the idea of like getting thrown into a situation where I don't know what to do, I need to figure it out. Um, to, to me, that is, that is the world of consulting. And I think that, uh, and, and that applies to every aspect of life. So if I'm in a travel situation and my flight's delayed, what do I do? How do I handle it? How do I react? 
Um, all, all of those little things uh, and the way people handle those is, you know, it says a lot about a person's ability uh, or, or a person's desire, frankly, to be in the world that, that, that we're in, which is it, it's a little bit of chaos. It's a little bit of getting into in situations where we're dealing with dynamic personalities. We go from person to person, group to group. We deal with politics. We deal with a lot of different things. How do we react to that? So there are some people who welcome chaos and there's some people that, that can't handle it. And that's okay. There's, there's, you know, but, but the ones that, that sort of thrive in that, they, they excel in the world of consulting and, and then the, the ability to communicate, right? I mean, if we send someone an email saying, Hey, when can you meet with us? And it takes them five days to respond. I go, I, I don't know if the world of consulting, it, our world of consulting is for them because in our world, people expect responses quickly. And so if they really want this job and it takes them that long to respond, well, is that kind of going to, is that, a, uh, can you extrapolate that to what life might be like if they were uh, an employee here? What you said that really resonates with me is can you succeed or thrive in that chaos with difficult personalities and, and have those crucial conversations with a smile on your face and get the job done, even if it's not obviously clear. I think that that is a, a really um, on point summary of what consulting generally is. Yep. I, I agree hundred percent, especially if you're a small consultancy. And I think, I think this has been part of our, um, success, especially in those larger enterprises. I think that, you know, when you tend to go into these larger multinational companies, when you look at how they hire, and I'm just talking very generically, right? Like usually that you have a, a job description with uh, some bullet points and, and I'm just going to pick a job, right? If you're an Oracle systems administrator, you are almost restricted in, in what you can do, how you can do it, and anything else that deviates, you go escalate to a, another person who that's their job. And in, in our world, we, we get to um, bring people on who, who can do a lot of different things. And when we go into these large companies and they have a challenge, our, our one person, um, our one consultant might represent you know, 10 different job roles within that enterprises um, uh, or within an organization because they have to have all these people doing different, you know, roles. And so what happens is we come in one or two people and they go, hey, this was great. Uh, we want more of your time. Now we've got this other problem we want you to help with. And we go help with that. And they go, that was great. We have these other three problems we want you to help with. And then they tell other people within the org and, and a lot of that um, growth tends to be very organic and word of mouth. And I think the, the, the reason that that has propelled our business is because when we hire, we are very particular about, you know, making sure we have problem solvers who are service centric, who communicate what they're doing, how they're doing it well. And, you know, who, who doesn't want that? I mean, in any kind of job, any kind of role, those are the sorts of things you want. I think that is so, um, profound what you just said about having service-oriented people organically grow right to grow a presence inside a company because one kind of narrative there or one way of thinking about that is that you have like very sales centric consultants that are you know always looking to forcefully expand within an organization and that is not the picture at all that you painted the picture that you painted is you have a service-oriented individual that has the opportunity to work with a specific part of an organization and then through natural organic conversations and trying to be of service in as many ways as possible um, you naturally grow right with that class and that's really truly like a beautiful story that, that is so much um, of a better experience for everybody involved than than the former right you, you know it's um it's a little counterintuitive, right? When we, when we work with our partners uh, before, you know, at every, with every partner we have, they have lots of, um, have a big sales team. And so we don't, we don't know everyone at every partner. And so when we have an early relationship with a, 
sales rep at one of our partners, what tends to happen is they ask questions like, well, how many, how big is your sales team? And we, you know, at some level it's irrelevant because the way we go create opportunity is not through the traditional way of doing sales. I mean, we have people who have an account exec function and have a sales function, but our ratio tends to be backwards for most people that, that do the same thing we do. Most people that do the same thing we do have commission salespeople, high, a, a lot of salespeople and, and the ratio of sales to engineering. You know, there's a lot of salespeople versus engineer and ours is the other way around. We, for us, especially on the, on the data side of the practice, we have a sales team to help support the consultancy. I mean, we, we have a lot of paperwork. We have a lot of people calling and, and we, need, we need people to help manage that. So we actually took the word sales away from the team that another organization might call sales and we, we switched it to account exec because we're, they, they don't have commissions, whether they, whether they close a $5,000 deal or a $50,000 deal, um, it, it gets the same pat on the back, to be honest. And, um, and for us, we go, you know, this, again, this goes back to the early days. I was not, I was not out there do, I, I didn't call what I did sales I and mean, other people might have. When someone said, I've got this problem, I was really happy to talk through the problem and what the potential solutions are and what I thought the solution is. And then I would say, so that's what I think. Uh, and if they said, cool, we'll think about it, I would leave and I'd go to the next thing. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't bugging them about it. If they called, they called. If they didn't, I had other things to go do. And I think that it was, it was really with this attitude of, I, I want to we want to be helpful, educational. We want to be the smart people in the room that can help solve the problem you're having. And if you, if you need our help, great. If you don't, that, that's okay too. And if you want to, if there's someone who's cheaper, you want to try them. Okay. If that doesn't work out, give us a call. It's okay. Cause there's, there's so much, so many other things we can do. And so now if you look at our world today, we're going, well, you know, sales still has, I, I don't want to be dismissive of, of sales. I think that, at the end of the day, there is, there is an art to a cycle. There is an art to kind of moving people along, building relationships. In every account we're in, we want to have two points of contact. We want to have a consultant that has a relationship and we want to have an account exec that has a relationship. That way, if there's a problem with one, um, they feel like they can go to the other to, to talk about it. Because if you don't have two points of contact, what happens is if they have a problem with their one point of contact, their next phone call is to, to someone outside of InnerWorks going, I don't like InnerWorks. Instead, hey, I've got a problem with this, this person and something they did or said or whatever. Um, so the, the, the sales team, I, I mean, I just want to be clear. They, they clearly have value. The account execs clearly have value. They help, help drive activity. They help, they help accelerate that organic growth, which sounds contradictory, but um, uh, and, and they help keep everyone on task. It makes perfect sense. And, and I think that, you know, just to summarize is that the traditional mindset, um, kind of the always be closing is, is not necessarily one. It sounds like that y'all adopt rather it's be service oriented, be solution centric and business will grow. Right. And people will be happy. That's right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at, you know, if you think about your experience as a consumer of anything, you know, you think about when you have a problem with your cell phone, if you pick up the phone and call your provider, um, it, it, it is, it are, it's the little things that make you walk away going, that was great or that was terrible. And I think that the, the, whether, whether it's a lawn mowing business or, a, or it's McKinsey, the professional services company, uh, or it's or it's someone at McDonald's. I mean, you, you know, the the individuals make or break that experience. There, and, and you know, I I'm not a big sports guy to be honest, but you know, in football, you hear you, you hear these comments like it's a game of inches, and I go, well, you know, that's what the services business is. A lot of times, you can just go a little bit further with everything you do, and people walk away going, that was amazing. I, I remember. I tell this story a lot, but you know, it, it was like 15 plus years ago, I called a, 
a telco because we were having a problem and I knew exactly what the problem was. I knew exactly how to fix it, but I knew it was going to take a very senior person uh, at the telco to type the commands in uh, to do it. And so I called this telco and it was a, it was a, it was a regional telco. So, and I was, you know, I, I was kind of pre annoyed going into the call, knowing how hard this was going to be. Lady answers the phone. I tell her what the problem is. And she says, you know what, I'll, I'll get back to you. I mean, this is, you know, what in my head was the operator. And um, she gets back to me with that level three tech who can solve the exact problem. And he says, yep, I, I took care of it. You should be good. That lady called me back the next day to go, hey, I just wanted to make sure you were all good. It, it, the, the thing you call about help. And I was blown away. I mean, I can't imagine uh, th that is just such a rare thing, right? And, and when you think about what I just described, nothing about that is complex, sophisticated, hard. It was just someone taking the extra time and effort and energy. And the business didn't have so much bureaucracy in the way that, that prevented her from doing that. And for me, I, you know, that story stuck with me to the point that I'm telling it, you know, 15 years later. And, and when you really dissect what that story is, it's nothing special, but it's frankly, it's, it's pretty rare that people go to that extreme, even though it's not very extreme in the services business. So I think, you know, it's a game of inches. And I think if, if we just, are constant if we're genuinely caring and going that extra distance we we stand out not because we're doing some groundbreaking amazing you know futuristic thing but it's just because we sincerely care and we show it which is a rare thing to be honest and, and you're absolutely right it's, it, it isn't uh any incredible act of you know selflessness or service um, it's just a very human interaction following back up with somebody, but it is going um, beyond what the normal experience of, of a lot of um, service interactions are like, and, and that does stand out. I just want to ask then, you know, we've talked a lot about InnerWorks, the, the, you know, how you've grown and, and how the company has grown over time um some tick some ways of keeping culture and keeping really the vision of the company uh in place as you grow and one of those is uh hell yes hiring and making sure that you err on the side of finding the absolute right employees rather than somebody that you might be questionable about um just to grow headcount or just to staff a project or whatever the case may be and really getting into the human side of growing business, right? The, the human side of sales and account management and, and making sure that if you have people that are wanting to help your clients, if you have consultants that are wanting to help and, and really looking to solve problems, then you're going to have success with each individual client and, and as a whole. And I think that that applies so I think that should resonate with a lot of salespeople, with a lot of consultants, with a lot of freelancers, and just really any professional. If you take the approach of try to be as selfless as possible, try to solve problems and try to help those around you, um, it sounds super simple, but you're going to have success. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with um, in terms of advice or about where to find you online or, or about InnerWorks or, or really anything before we close? Well, I would just say, I, I think that was a great summary. I think the other thing that I would marry to this that um, hopefully I articulate this well, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, I get asked a lot about InnerWorks success. And, and I think that um, it, when we were smaller and I was, and I was hearing conversations with, CEOs of companies that are of the size we're at today, I, I thought, you know, wow, this person really knows what they're doing. Uh, they're, they're, you know, what's, there's something special about what they're doing. And, and for me, again, I, you know, we just sort of, I, I know this is sort of oversimplifying everything, right? But I go, I, I don't think there's anything special about what we do. I think we're just being, doing a good job of doing what everyone knows we should be doing. And I think that the thing that is missing, I think, in a lot of 
with a lot of entrepreneurs or people trying to to bring in um, some level of discipline to their practice or you know trying to affect change with culture is this notion of consistency and I think that uh, you know one of the reasons I think we succeeded early on is not is not because of high IQs or or because we knew something the rest of the world did and it was it was really just persistence and consistency and I think that that beats talent you know every time and um, and really just hard work and I, and I don't mean consistency like working hard for weeks I mean it was months and years and doing it you know over and over uh, it, you know, I think deep down, I, I genuinely believe in this idea of, you know, being in service to others and providing a great experience. And I think you, if you marry that with any, any sort of talent that, that you have, and I think in this case, it's technology, um, it's, it's the recipe for, for succeeding. So, yeah, I, I guess I would end on that note. Thank you so much. Um, I know, um, I know that we went over. I really, really appreciate your time and I really appreciate your thoughts and, and experiences and, and really kind of sharing the heart of, of InnerWorks and, and y'all's mindset. It's um, really cool. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. You've been listening to The Signal Cafe, your source for business agility and product thinking. And in today's episode, just doing good business in general and in a very virtuous manner. Thanks again to Bayfar for coming on the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button. And if you would, leave us a review on iTunes. This episode actually marks the end of season one of the show. We'll be kicking off season two in a week or two. And we're going to be focused entirely on business agility and agile thought leadership. As always, thank you for listening and have a great day. Adios.